All right. Good morning. Welcome to the inaugural broadcast of the Thursday Thread. My name is Andy Lockwood, and with me is CPA Hello. business guru Neil Gilmet. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Andy. I'm, I'm looking forward to today. This is this is going to be fun. Yeah, it's been a long time uh, coming. Uh, we were waiting for busy season to subside to you know to make sure that we could reach a few more accountants. Uh, who are tied up, and that's a good segue um, into the topic of today's show, which is act, which is how to actually enjoy busy season without being chained to your desk or your cell phone. Um, before we get into that, I have a couple of things I wanted to comment on and sort of frame um, and ask you about. And if anyone is uh, joining us live or watching this on replay, please say hi in the comments section and if you have a question for neil about how to grow your business uh, or anything related to business development pop them in there and we will we will be checking the comments uh you know in the relatively near future so um i guess my first um opening comment here is we're calling the show the thursday thread and because a it's on thursdays and B, it alludes to one of your um, core teaching concepts, which I've heard you talk about. I've, I've, uh, I, I am a student of yours also, so I hear this both third-hand and first-hand. Um, you talk about this concept, the thread of continuity. So can you give everyone sort of an executive summary of what that is before we get into today's topic? In consciously building a profitable business, and I don't want to say practice and consciously building a profitable accounting business or any business. The most important, one of the most important basic building blocks is what I call a thread of continuity. And that starts with what differentiates you from your competition and carries through the four major components of practice building, which is creating the right opportunities in the marketplace converting those opportunities in the marketplace to high profit relationships, delivering on your value promise, and last but not least, running your factory at optimum efficiency. And there has to be a thread of continuity of culture and mentality and focus that tie each step into the others. Otherwise, there's a lack of continuity. A lack of continuity loses money to profit leak. Yeah, it also sends the wrong messages to your clients. You know, if, if different staff members are not are saying different things than you're saying, it's a big mess. It also doesn't. It also sends the wrong messages to your staff because it doesn't create everybody focused in the same direction, thinking in the same way, speaking in the same way, and representing the firm's image in the same way. Yeah, I mean, I could see a problem where if you uh, started at the, at, the, at the first level, which was the, the marketing or the creating the opportunities, and you made certain promises, but that thread didn't continue through how you delivered your actual services, that's going to create some problems. If it, didn't, if it didn't tie back to the first contact and the philosophy behind the first contact, you've lost something in the translation. And, and you're probably setting bad expectations for your clients. Yeah, usually money and a client is what you lose. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So that's that's the segue into uh, today's topic, which is how to actually love or enjoy your busy season. Uh, we are broadcasting this on October twenty second. So, uh, so many accountants uh, are coming off of a deadline from October fifteenth. 
Um, I want to start by reading a testimonial that one of your um, one of your great clients, uh, Harlan Khan, sent you. Uh, this was dated September fifteenth of this year, and he says, "Dear Neil, all my work is done. I ran into a CPA's wife at the post office. She wondered why I was able to get away from my desk at this late juncture." I told her I learned how to manage my practice. It was working with you that opened my eyes to managing my practice rather than having the practice manage me. I no longer work extra nights and weekends or nor truly any late nights in the tax season at all. I even volunteered my time the last two tax seasons to answering taxpayer calls from across the country. I doubt others would believe I had spare time. You taught me how to own my practice. It does not own me. My time is my own. And then he goes on to, to um, list a couple of the specific bits of advice that, uh, that you gave him. So this may seem far-fetched to, to a lot of, I imagine, to a lot of CPAs and accounting professionals, um, but how, how do you create this? How, how do you free accountants from their practices and from busy season? How do you train them to manage their clients and to actually you know, fall in love with their practice all over again? The first step in the process has to be a change in their own thinking. If you believe that busy season is always going to be a bear, it'll be a bear. I've, I've met CPAs that are already preparing themselves to be exhausted in May, sometime in November. They're thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna go through busy season again. And by the time May gets here, I'm gonna be totally exhausted. Um, well, guess what? If you believe that to be so, you'll be right. So there is the self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't change your belief and believe that you can do something about it, there's no way you're going to succeed. So step number one is changing your own mindset and said, yes, I don't want to put up with this. I want a different life. I want busy season to be extremely profitable. I want it to be fun. And I want to be able to not work long nights. I don't want to work nights. I don't want to work weekends. I want to be with my family. First, you have to make a decision, a conscious choice to do that. That's step number one. Once you've made that choice, we have to take a look at the throughput process of your tax bill, uh, of your tax season. The interesting thing is that uh, one of the biggest, one of the most profitable times in many CPAs firms is their busy season because there's a high level of profit on taxes. But it's also one of the least profitable times because there are tremendous numbers of profit leaks. So there's, there's a huge amount of money that's falling through the cracks that you're not aware of. Huge amount of money. And those profit leaks come from a lack of proper management of your throughput process. And in my vernacular, allowing the lunatics to run your asylum, <laughs> the lunatics being your clients. Uh, I just had this conversation with uh, CPA the other day, and he was working, he worked right up until midnight on the 15th, was at the post office at midnight, you know, that type of thing. And his whole staff was exhausted and everybody was snapping at each other. And I said to him, why do you continue to do that? Well, you know, you, you, the clients just don't want to cooperate. And, this, and he's putting it on the clients. And it's not that the clients don't want to cooperate. He's not behaving in such a way to make the clients cooperate. So it's a matter of making rules for your own business, not your practice, but your business of how you do business during busy season. Number one, there are 
always a bunch of clients that are always last minute annies. They show up at the 11th hour with a shoebox full of papers or a stack of things, and they want their returns done and they want to get to the front of the line. And usually those are the same people that haven't paid you for the last three years. <laughs> and, you know, you send them an invoice for $5,000 and they send you a thousand and your staff goes back to work on their, uh, on their taxes. So the first step in the process is identifying the bad apples in your barrel. The second step of the process is either eliminating the bad apples, which a lot of people are resistant to doing. In fact, Harlan mentioned that in his letter. It was hard for him to throw away bad you know, cash flow. But identify the problem clients and then begin to either turn them over into being good clients that allow you to profit and work cooperatively with you or get rid of them. You don't need the headaches and you'll find that when you get rid of the headaches, your quality of life goes up immeasurably. Um, your burden of management on a day-to-day -day basis goes down. Your staff is happier. Your family's happier. You're making more money with less effort. So help me understand why you wouldn't want to revamp the throughput process of busy season. Yeah, that's addition by subtraction. I, I, I always find, you know, I'm a, I'm a college advisor and we do a lot of financial aid applications. So we're not accountants, but we have a very similar type of busy season uh, type of deadline driven, you know, part of our, our, our year. And without fail, and this, I, I owe a lot of this uh, to you and your, and your advice. Um, when you get rid of problem clients, you free up yourself in the ways that you described. You free yourself up emotionally also, and you open yourself up to be able to take on new, better clients too. I mean, with, with that extra time that you found, you can now find uh, better, higher value, higher quality clients too. Um, I, th I think the thing that you said in the beginning, uh, almost in passing, but um, I, want, I want to ask you a little bit more about it, is um, it, it all starts with the decision. You, you talked about the, the mindset. And, um, I, you know, I, when, when you say things like that, I always think to myself, so yeah, like, why am I self-employed? I, I, you know, I, of course I want to make a living, but I went in to my own business for the freedom. And uh, you have so many people that you've, you've helped grow their practice, but it's really, you know, it's really what your help is really beyond just the, the, the business. It's really more about helping them kind of structure and, and free them up in their lives. My philosophy has become uh, that your business or your practice, if you, if you need to call it that, is nothing more than a vehicle to create the quality of life that you aspire to. And secondarily, the income you need to support that quality of life. And that becomes the goal. It's not about how many returns you can process or how much you bring in. It's are you generating the income and quality of life that puts a smile on your face? Or do you get up in the morning and say, oh, God, I've got to go back to work again today for another 12-hour day, banging out tax returns with people that are not cooperating? Versus I love going to work because my clients love me. Uh, and I'm, I'm, as Harlan said, and I enjoy being a CPA again. I love my profession again. So the, the real key here is you making it happen for you rather than letting it happen to you. And we've developed tools over the years because I've been doing this now for 40 years with CPAs. We have a lot of tools that you can use to turn this around and take control of it and put the reins in your hands rather than being dragged behind the wagon. Uh, and that's the picture I see in my mind 
<laughs> Where would you rather be, up on a seat with the reins in your hands and guiding the wagon or being dragged behind it? Uh, that, that's graphic, but I think, I think that's effective. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about um, some of the ways that you, specific ways that you advise accountants to handle their non-cooperative clients, like some of the language you might use or, or any other tips? Well, step number one is identify the bad guys and make a decision that you're going to have a conversation, a, a, a come to Moses, come to Jesus, come to somebody conversation Amen. with those clients, Buddha, whoever, yeah. whoever, whoever floats your boat. You need to have a, a conversation with these people, which is a... I hate to say it, should have get off the pot conversation. Uh, it's the only way I can put it. You need to sit down with these people and help them understand. I'm being very specific. Help them understand why they are not good clients for you. And I worked with another practitioner who had a client that was a real pain in the neck. His wife was terrible. She abused the staff. And I said, you've got to talk to him. This has been going on for years. I said, why have you not talked to him about it? Well, he's a good client. He pays us a lot of money. I said, does he pay you promptly? Well, no, he's always a couple of years behind. <laughs> and his wife always shows up at the last minute demanding to be at the front of the line. So I said, look, call him up and make a simple phone call. Call him up and say, you know, we've been working together now for close to 15 years. And I re would really like your opinion on a scale of 1 to 10. How do you feel our relationship as your accountants has been for you? And the guy raved. He said, I won't mention the name, but he said, I'm going to have to give you on a scale of one to 10, I'd give you a 15. I think you're fantastic. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Went on and on and on. And he said, well, why do you ask? Well, my guy was not too practiced or as practiced as I want him to be. So it came out, well, as a client, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> And the client was shocked. He said, what do you mean? <laughs> Subtle. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of ambiguity there. It's, it's really hard to figure out what he meant. Nothing like contrast. You know, I give you a 15 and I give you, a, and you, uh, you, uh, you give me a 15 and I give you a five below zero. <laughs> uh, contrast helps. But anyway, we had prepared the reasons. Said so number one, We've been working together for a long time, and I'm already charging you. What I charge you is absolutely barely profitable to begin with because of our lengthy relationship. And you've given me a lot of referrals, and I'm kind of okay with that. But your wife abuses my staff. Every time she speaks to my staff, she screams at them, she curses at them, she yells at them. We have to chase you to get your information. We constantly chasing you to do something as simple as getting a bank wreck. And after four or five or six phone calls, maybe your wife will send it out to us. And when she does, she's nasty about it. We're now chasing you for, mo for money that's three years overdue. You got a, an outstanding balance of $6,000 that goes back three years. And your wife just called and demanded to come in with about five tax returns for her children and other people in her family, and she needs them done now. And it's the 13th of March, uh, rather the 13th of April, and she wants these returns done in time. And she wants to get in front of everybody else, never realizing that we already have a backlog. So 
the fact that you don't pay us, what you're not profitable, you make my staff miserable, they give me a hard time, that makes you suck as a client. And I just wanted to make you aware of that fact that, to be perfectly frank with you, as much as I like you as a person, and as much as I've enjoyed working with you as a person, I don't want to work with you anymore. I, I just don't need this. I don't need clients like you. Um, and make a long story short, the guy buzzed his wife, put her on the phone immediately, right with him still on the phone with him, and basically reamed her, cleaned her clock, demanded, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I never want to get another phone call like this from so-and-so. And he's on the line right now, and you're both hearing what I'm saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Well, it worked fine for about six months. And then she went right back to who she was. She couldn't help it. Uh, and I just got a call yesterday from his partner said, we have to get rid of this client. I'm not willing to deal with them anymore. So this is three years now that they've been going through the second cycle of abuse. <laughs> this is not uncommon. CPAs are very reluctant to let go of clients because of cash flow, because they're afraid that they might not get referrals, uh, because they don't want to sully their reputation and get somebody angry with them. So instead, they take this kind of abuse. And I, my experiences, and I hate to say it, my experience in 40 years of working with hundreds of CPA firms, probably 95% of the firms that I've worked with have 20 to 30% of their clients as marginally profitable or actually unprofitable. And a good bunch of those are abusive. It doesn't make any sense to me why you would continue to work with clients like that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I see that um, the reason is, is like you said, it's basically fear-based. You know, they're, they're afraid of losing something. But when, you know, they, they sit back and maybe with your help, um, look, take it from a different perspective and realize what they're actually giving up. It's, it's again, it's addition by subtraction. Um, I, I think that a lot of the problem has to do with setting a client expectations, you know, at the outset, even before the outset. Absolutely. So, um, so I think, and you're a big proponent of, you know, clear uh, precision of language. So I'll just share, you know, in our own practice with, uh, particularly with helping families with financial aid forms, we're very clear even before they retain us, like here are our rules. If you want us to help you, you get us, right? It's, it's more of an attitude thing. Like we think we're, we're the prize, our, our firm. So, um, so, so that, and, and I think that's what clients want. I think what they want is really the result. You know, so this is how we will help you get the result that you want. You've got to, you've got to follow our rules. If we ask you to provide us something, you've got to get it to us within 48 hours. We'll do our best to remind you, but the burden is on you. And bump, 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 bump. Here are the expectations, and here's what you should expect of us. So that's clear. It's in writing, even because we, you know, we send out a letter. Uh, part of it, and then you know, it's the, the ball's really in in their court. We know we're going to deliver, but we're only as good as our clients, and we're constantly reminding them about that. And that. I wouldn't say that eliminates the issue, but it really significantly cuts it, it down. Cuts it. And well, and our asses. One of the things that I recommend, and again, as you say, is that the, first of all, CPAs have to send out an engagement letter. But what they've learned to do over the years is send out these <clears throat> standard form engagement letters. Right. They, they, they send them out and they never read them. The client never reads them. And then there's a war. Um, 
first of all, you have to make, as you said, make your engagement letter um, focused on what you're going to do, but what the client's responsibilities are and what's expected of the client. And that's with regard to cooperation with work product, how you treat my staff and how I get paid. And you agree to that. And the mistake that CPAs make is by not putting that in their engagement letter, just going with the standard AICPA mumbo jumbo, uh, which is like, it's like reading a legal document. It's full of where therefores and whereas has very little meaning. Uh, but add to that what the client's responsible for. <clears throat> And add to that, add to that letter, don't, don't just send it out. Call the client, send the letter, tell them it's coming by email right now, get them on the, send the email copy, if you will, and go over it line by line with them to make sure they have a clear understanding before they sign it. Because when you say to them, if you remember, we went over our engagement letter and you agreed that you would cooperate and get us your work within five days of the bank rec arriving, we would have it in our hands. And we don't have that happening. And we keep calling you, so we're going to have to surcharge you. And I would put that in the engagement letter that if you don't get it to us by such and such a time, there will be a surcharge. And make people aware of that fact. And that's actually in their best interest, by the way, because um, if you want your returns done before a deadline, then you this is what needs to happen, right? And this is the way we do. You hired us for a result. Um, another thought I had as you were saying this, and I think this actually makes the CPA more attractive as a professional in the sales process, which and I consider you the, you know, the king of the uh, of the takeaway sale. I might be the prince. Um, but uh, if, if, if you say here are the rules and if it's not right for you, if you can't do this, that's okay. We're not right for you. We're not right for each other. That's right. And it's perfectly okay. Yeah. And that gives them the out, but it also sends a message like, oh, they don't need me. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I want to be with them. We're going to come full circle to that thread of continuity. Because in the opening statement that I expect my accountants to make yeah. is to say, we are different from other accounting firms. And because we're different, we are not right for everyone. There's that thread of continuity. And we've said that. And now we can find, And remember I said to you, Andy, we're not right for everyone. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel you can work within these parameters, then we're not right for each other. Yeah. And I wish you good luck. Have a great day. Yeah. That is. Had to do that. Yeah, and, and I use that language, um, you know, th thanks to you again in, in my practice. And I had someone yesterday say something which I hear all the time. <clears throat> you know, I, I do this ahead of time, so I'm not I'm not always delivering this one-on-one because I have all these marketing sequences, which is probably a different topic for another day. But um, she said, so you, you said in the email to me um, that I received yesterday that you're not right for everyone. What, so who, who are you not right for? How, how do I know if, you know, we're a good fit? So, so that you know, that it's a provocative statement and that's what people are thinking. And occasionally they'll give voice to, to that thought, but that allows me to say, yeah, the well, people who are not right for me are basically people who don't follow my rules. I mean, that was, that was, I took 10 minutes to explain that and give some examples and they're like, oh yeah, no, we're not like that. Yeah. We're, we'll, we'll do a good job because people want, you know, they want to be thought of as someone who's going to be responsible and, and helpful and it's in their own interest too. Once you've managed their expectations and gotten agreement to the rules. It's not very hard to call up and say, hey, when we got together, we went over the engagement letter word by word, and you agreed that you were going to do this, this, and this, and now you're not doing it. Um, 
at a loss here. Is it that you don't keep your word or you've got some other problem going on that I don't know about? Because if you don't keep your word, we're not right for you. As we said in the beginning, we're not right for everybody. And people that don't keep their word, we're not right for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I so that's that's aggressive, and which I appreciate. I, you know, I I'm more comfortable saying something like, um, has something changed? You know, we we agreed to this, and as far as I know, we've been doing everything that we agreed to, but we can't get you to, uh, you know, follow our program. So I think it's important just to have that that document and that clarity of the expectation setting first, and then that's you've got a thread of continuity with that because that really governs your business relationship. And if they go too far away from that, you can always cite that to to haul them back. And if it doesn't work out, you walk away. And, and that's going to be a good thing. Well, about 55 years ago, uh, I was uh, in basic training in Alexandria, Louisiana. And one of the things I picked up from the, the Cajuns down there was a phrase that I love. It's called putting the skunk on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and it alludes to that concept that Everybody knows something stinks, but nobody knows what it is until you reach under the table and put the skunk on the table. Now everybody knows what stinks. Yeah. So I'm a firm believer in putting the skunk on the table, and I'm on, I'm personally more comfortable doing doing it very bluntly rather than gently. Uh, <laughs> people need to understand where I'm coming from, and you said something very important before, and I want to repeat it and and, and hammer it in. You need to make the decision as a CPA that you are the prize. The client is not the prize. You are the prize. You're the guy with all the knowledge. You're the guy with the ability to make their lives better. You are the prize, and they need to treat the prize with dignity and respect, not disrespect. But you have to make that choice in your own mind. And I think a lot of the training and coaching and support that you give your one-on-one -on -one, uh, mentees, you know, your, the, the accountants that you work with, is helping them understand what makes them that prize or what makes them unique. Because I, a lot of a lot of us, and I, I put myself in this category, we don't really dwell on how special or or, uh, or great we are. We we think about um, who's my competition. You know, how am I going to lose out? How am I going to win more business? You know, that type of thing. But um, I'll say in my experience, and I want to—I uh, assume you agree with me, but I want to hear what you think also. Uh, in my experience, everyone has something that makes them that can be used to, to make them not only unique but particularly attractive, and uh, to to prospective clients, and particularly with the open-ended questions that you train people to use. That is how it comes out in building the rapport and that trust and that obviousness that you're the—you know—you're incomparable. And by doing it that way, using precision of language with a proven, repeatable, trainable process, using precision of language, you don't have to work to get clients to respect you. The clients will, because of the way you communicate and the precision of language, will automatically give you the respect you're entitled to. Yeah. It's, it's how you communicate, how you comport yourself, how your firm uh, you know, delivers that service. It's that, again, the threat of continuity. And there's a big thought right here. There's a, I hear CPAs for years have been telling me, you know, what makes you different from your competition? <laughs> and I hear things like, well, we return calls promptly and we really care about our clients and, and we do accurate, timely work. And that's what makes you different from the other 430,000 CPA firms out there. <laughs> do you think they all might be saying the exact same thing? 
So if they're all saying the exact same thing, how does it make you different? And if you don't differentiate yourself, you're a commodity. And the only, only determining factor in purchasing a commodity is how much is it? Which is the question everybody dreads in the CPA world. Yeah. So learn how to never have to deal with that question as part of reducing the, the, the fee pressure, reducing the uh, deadline pressure in your firm. Because deadline pressure is horrendous for your staff. It's horrendous for your family. I just spoke to a, a, a referral. A new prospect was referred to me. Uh, said, please call me after the 15th of October. So I gave him a few days to recuperate, and I called his office yesterday, and I got his executive assistant. Turns out they're a pretty decent-sized firm. He's a, he's a, there are two partners, and he's the younger partner. And she said, I'm so sorry, but he's not going to be available. I said, well, is he on vacation? She said, no, he's in a hospital. Uh. I said, what's going on? She said, he's had a terrible pancreatitis attack. And last tax season, the same thing happened. And the tax season before the same thing happened. And I said, wow, let him know that we need to talk because he doesn't need to have pancreatitis every tax season anymore. And if that's something he could eliminate in his life, is it something he's interested in talking about? Mm. True. He's not the only one that I've seen that it makes you it makes you sick to your stomach and you become used to seeing deadline times to being a nightmare and you begin to accept it as the norm. Right. And once you do that, it takes a big leap to change your mindset to eliminate the problem because you've accepted it. Yeah. It's almost like the deadline pressure is a symptom of not having the, the, the foresight to plan out what you really want and then executing in order to achieve what you really want. They don't teach that in accounting school, unfortunately. Right. They teach how to do returns. They teach how to do accounting. They teach how to do financial statements. They don't teach client management. Hmm. Well, okay, so that's uh, that's a good segue here to wrap up because uh, we've we've hit our thirty minute allocated time, um, and it's great that uh, one of the things I, that I love about this is that you are teaching stuff that you can't learn in professional school. This is all based on you know, on your experience. So. Uh, so let's sign off here. If anyone wants more information on how to get Neil in their corner or just some basic information about the CPA Network, go to cpanetwork.org. And if anything that was said here uh, was interesting of you and to, to you and, and provocative and you have some questions, just pop them right here in the comments section, even on replay, and we will answer them as best that we can. All right, Neil, thanks a lot for doing this. And uh, Andy, thanks again. I love it. I love yeah. it. I, love, I, I really look forward to these Thursday mornings. Good. Yeah. We'll be back next week at 830 on the Thursday thread. Take care. And if they say in Louisiana, y'all come back now. You hear? <laughs>